You know, God's word tells us not to worry, but instead to pray. Sounds simple, but just because something is simple doesn't make it easy. And so today, my good friend and our director of missions, Dave Warrens, is going to open up God's word for us and explain to us why it's so important, particularly during times like this, that we pray. Whether you're a part of our church family or this is one of your first times with us, we're glad you're here. You are loved. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, Alleluia, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer Oh 
fortress is our God, a bulwark never fails, our helper he amid the is not his
Father, we thank you that it's not in our strength that we have to confide, but we can find our joy and our rest in you. And I pray that you're with us today as we're listening to your word, that you will open up our hearts and our minds that we might know you more because you are good and you are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we're continuing in a series entitled, Can You Trust God? For the past few weeks, we've been trying to connect the dots between a good, kind, loving God and the chaotic, uncertain, troubling times that we experience every day of our lives. It's been super helpful for me. I I trust it's been helpful for you. But we want to make sure that this series is also incredibly practical. For Christians, it's so dangerous to just accumulate knowledge without putting it into practice in our everyday lives. And so today we want to take some time to talk about just one way that we can both prove and practice our trust in God. I've found a very simple way, and it's called prayer. Now, I'll pause here for all the internal eye rolls to fade. Uh, And before you start scrolling for a more inspiring message, let me just remind all of us, right, that this simple act of communicating with God, it dominated the ministry and life of our Savior and King Jesus. How could we expect it to do anything less in our own lives? Now, you'll notice I said simple and not easy, Right? Our, our world is filled with so many activities that are simple in principle and, and frustratingly difficult in practice. Right? If you've ever tried digging a hole by hand, or, or maybe uh, deciding what to eat for dinner for the family, what about washing your hands for the whole 20 seconds that our, our CDC uh, suggests? Don't even get me started on turn signals. People, it's, it's, right, it's right there. Okay, I know you know how to use that. Now, none of those things are complicated, right? The, the level of complexity in the task is completely disproportionate to our difficulty, our struggle in actually performing the task. And, and I think if we're honest, for most people, uh, especially Christians, sadly, we put cr- prayer into that category as well. We all know we ought to do it. We, we feel like we should be doing it more, but we get busy, we get tired, we get distracted. And if you're anything like me, the day comes, the day goes, and there's no more prayer than there was the day before. Folks, this is a topic that dominates the landscape of spiritual websites and blogs and and podcasts and books. How do I pray? And more specifically, how do I pray in in a way that gets answers, the answers that I'm looking for? And while I do think there are a lot of methods, some very easy how to's that are out there that have been very helpful, if I can just be real for a minute, I am super hesitant to answer the question, how should I pray? We humans can be so focused on getting the results that we want, 
And as our resources uh, grow, as our education improves, our technology expands, we become obsessed with finding just the right technique to get the result that we want. Folks, we do this with our hobbies. We do this with our, our finances. We do it with our families. We do it with prayer. We think if I could just find the right technique and the right resource, somehow I could combine them in the right way to get exactly what I want. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm in the same boat. I do the same things. And while I really do want to answer, how should I pray? I've always found that the very best how is going to flow out of a very solid why. And so I want to spend the majority of our time today exploring what does the Bible say about why Christians pray? And who knows? Maybe at the end we can learn together how we should pray. But for now, just, just so we're all on the same page, I want to start out with a, a working definition. It's not, it's not Webster's, right? It's, it's my definition that I use as I'm reading the Bible, but, but I've seen how it plays out, and it's built on what I've seen God say about prayer. So prayer today, I, I want to say, is our conscious, deliberate communication with God. It's conscious, meaning you have to be an active participant, right? It's deliberate uh, in that you, you can't accidentally pray. You're not going to trip and somehow communicate with God. It's with God, meaning that just because God knows all of your thoughts does not necessarily mean that all of your thoughts our prayer. The same way that you could be talking and someone overhears you, but you're not necessarily talking to them. Right? We've all experienced that, right? The bathroom stall, the guy next to you is talking, and is he, is he asking you how the grocery list is supposed to? Odds are, no, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's, I'm the only. Bottom line, the internal dialogue that's going on in your head, it's not necessarily prayer unless you include God in the conversation. So prayer is the conscious, deliberate communication with God, but it could be in all kinds of ways. It could be alone. It could be uh, in groups and congregations. It could be uh, ceremonial. It, it could be uh, spontaneous. It, it could be with a box, with a fox, on a train, on a plane, here, there, literally anywhere. Again, the, the what of prayer. It's not complicated, but neither is the why behind prayer. We know that God commands us to pray. We know that prayer pleases God. We we know that he hears our prayers and and that he answers our prayers, but none of those are, are why we pray. We could even say almost exactly the same things about Christian love. God commands us to love. He is pleased when we love. He blesses our loving actions. But that's not why Christians love. 1 John 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Friends, prayer is the exact same. We consciously, deliberately communicate with God because he chose to consciously, deliberately communicate with us. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's the the very beginning of the book. For those of you that grew up in church, this is probably very familiar. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Folks, the God of the Bible is a speaking God. It's a a remarkable characteristic that sets him apart from every other so-called God. He is a speaking God. Right there in verse 3, right, the, the phrase, God said. That shows up 11 more times just in the first chapter. Almost 100 times in the book of Genesis. God said. Now, we could, we could assume that because God is speaking, right, it requires some kind of a response to him. Even maybe a nod, maybe a, a, a praise you, thank you for his creation. Folks, this speaking from God becomes the foundation of a theme that goes all the way through the Bible. So the point where, where Jesus himself is called the Word. He's the Word that became human and lived with us. This speaking God doesn't stop there, though. He's not just a speaking God. Folks, turn, turn with me to chapter 3. It's another page or two over. Chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 8. This is, they, they said, they heard the sound of God. This is Adam and his wife, the first man. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Friends. The God of the Bible is not just a speaking God. He's a questioning God. Just just for a moment, put aside the topic that he's he's brought up with the humans, but consider, just consider, God initiated a conversation with his creation. This isn't a a transfer of information. It's not a a directive or or a command. It's a real, genuine, back-and-forth conversation. Now, on the one hand, we could say the entire interaction, the the man, the woman, the snake, God, all of it is completely unnecessary, right? You could make an argument that any question coming from an all-knowing God is probably rhetorical. And we don't believe for a second that God really didn't know what was going on before he showed up. So, Why not just cut the chit-chat? Why not get right down to business of of convicting and and evicting, of, of foreshadowing and cursing? Folks, God is setting a precedent here. 
He is, he's going out of his way to make a point about exactly what kind of universe he runs. He's making it perfectly clear that his plan A, right, God never has a plan B. <laughs> he's making it perfectly clear that plan A intentionally includes both a platform for engaging his people and an invitation for them to participate in the plan that he's revealing. Folks, the resurrection of Jesus and and the eventual crushing of the serpent's head was, was planned out before he ever started making the world. But God chose to reveal that plan through a conversation with his people. And if, if we are ever going to learn how to pray, we have to get a hold of this paradigm. You and I have been invited into a conversation that we did not initiate and we do not control. God spoke first. God initiated communication. He is the one who controls the conversation, not us. And our prayers will always be Merely responses to something God has already said or already done. Friends, it is no wonder that so many of us struggle to join in on a conversation when we are only willing to talk about a fraction of what God is actually communicating. We are so wrapped up in the the here and now that, that when we actually do try to talk to God, we are so preoccupied. We prioritize and emphasize the the physical and, and the immediate as if somehow those are more real, more important than the eternal or the spiritual. Of course, prayer is going to feel like it doesn't work. We've been using it backwards. Prayer is not a tool where we get to tell God about our agenda and assume he's going to rubber stamp it and give some resources to make it better. Friends, prayer was intended to be us getting on God's agenda. It was intended to be God communicating his desires, his plans, and us participating in the revelation of his good character and will. If we insist on treating prayer as a tool for managing our circumstances, for dialing in our, our preferences into our environment, we're going to be consistently frustrated, disappointed, confused, meandering through life. Worse than that, much, much worse than that. We might even start doubting God's good character. We could question his promises. We may end up undermining his reputation by how we speak about his plans and about his character. Worst of all, God might end up for us being just like one of those friends from way back when that sometimes shows up on your, your news feed and Facebook. Or you just catch the highlight reel of their life, their, their anniversaries or vacations, a new haircut. But if the two of you were ever put in a room together, there would be almost nothing to talk about. There's no relationship. You don't know him. It's not where I want to be. I don't think that's where you want to be. I know that's not where God wants to be. So why do we pray? 
I'll try to say it as plainly as I can. We consciously, deliberately communicate with God because he has chosen conversation and dialogue to be his primary means of forming his eternal kingdom. It's how he reveals himself to us. It's how he changes us to be like him. It's how he allows us to participate in his plan for eternity. We talk with him because he first talked with us. And isn't that how most healthy families interact anyway? Right? The parents lovingly invite in a new child to a conversation, a relationship that's been going on since before they were born. They invite the child to participate, to join in on a conversation that they've been having for years, perhaps. But they have to teach the child how to communicate, how to participate. Can you imagine how strange it would be to see adult children interacting with their parents the exact same way as when they were infants? At best, we would say that's not ideal. Probably there are some some medical challenges that, that the family's having to work through. At worst, we would say that is unhealthy, maybe even toxic. But consider the flip side, right? What joy when you see a child grow and mature and begin to participate in the family's activities, not just as an observer, but as a, as a real contributor, someone with, with thoughts and ideas, somebody who can actually join in, Does, not just watching dad cook dinner, but, but participating, not just watching mom work in the yard, but, but getting their little hands dirty. I've been told, I'm not there yet, I've been, I've been told that a big milestone for a child is, is when they actually can make some decisions for themselves with the guidance of a parent. Or maybe they're given some choices for lunch. Little Johnny or, or little Jenny is able to, to choose between grilled cheese and, and frozen chicken particles pressed into the form of dinosaurs. Right? Who, doesn't, who doesn't love dino nugs? So mom can interact with little Jenny and say, Jenny, do you want grilled cheese or dino? I would love dino nugs, mom. Great, can you blow on them? They're a little hot. Great, cut them up. Would you like some ketchup, Jenny? I would love ketchup. Right, that, that interaction, that, that's the foundation of relationship building. But we've all seen that same experience go completely off the rails when the child decides they don't need mom and dad as a reference point. Right? It gets dangerous when little Jenny decides to strike out on her own and go rogue for lunch. I'm not saying she's firing up the grill or, or calling for takeout. I just mean little Jenny abandons the template of taking her lunch cues from a good, wise, loving mom. And she approaches the lunch table with the assumption that she's going to get her frozen, processed chicken parts pressed into the form of a dinosaur, despite the fact that mom is already making grilled cheese. Despite the fact that little Jenny knows, even as young as she is, that Nug Day is only once a week. It was yesterday. Despite the fact that mom has already told her that today's a busy day and lunch is going to be on the go. None of those things are what Jenny is thinking about or processing or responding to. She is responding only to dino nugs. More specifically, the lack thereof. 
And it's all she wants to talk about. And it's all she wants to cry about. And it's all she wants to argue about. And eventually, it's all she wants to pout about. Friends, we have even less control over God's agenda than little Jenny does over her mom's. If we refuse to participate in God's conversation on his terms, we are at risk. We are at risk of missing out on our growth. We're at risk of missing out on his mission. More importantly, we are at risk of missing out on the very relationship we were created to enjoy. I want to show you just one quick example how God has used conversations to change both his people and his world on his terms. And then we'll wrap up by talking about just how we can start to pray in light of these truths. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Jonah. Uh, Feel free to hit pause if you think it's going to take you a minute. Uh, Hit Jeremiah and continue right. If you hit Matthew, you've, you've gone too far. Book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Sounds like somebody is missing his dino nugs. Now, some of you are probably thinking, man, I wish God would just come down and and talk to me like that face to face. We'll get to that in a minute. But for now, let's just assume Jonah is at least as faithful as you are. And it didn't go super smooth for him. So just keep that in mind. Now, we don't actually get Jonah's response to God until chapter 4. So why don't you flip over to chapter 4. We'll see how Jonah responds to God. And while you're flipping, in case you need a reminder, uh, Jonah's escape plan, right, to Tarshish, that didn't go well. God sent uh, a storm, uh, a giant fish. Jonah eventually repents, and, and he preaches to Nineveh. And lo and behold, Nineveh repents as well. Let's pick it up in uh, the end of chapter 3, actually. Let's go start with chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord. He said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, back in chapter 1, we don't see anything about God saying he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's loving or or disaster-relenting. As it turns out, chapter 1 is not the first time that God has spoken to Jonah. In fact, 
God told Jonah that he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Almost 700 years before Jonah was ever born or ever got a message to go to Nineveh. The first time we hear God saying about his compassion, his slow to anger nature, it's actually back in Exodus. And he's talking to Moses. But since God never changes, what he said about himself to Moses on the mountaintop is just as true and relevant for Jonah when he heard it in the temple as a boy. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jonah's response was right to God's message. But I am saying that when God's plan called for a revelation of his gracious compassion towards his enemies, he chose to do it through a conversation with one of his people. And at least part of that conversation happened hundreds of years before he ever was born. Does that sound a little bit familiar to you? Friends, I think God's conversation with Jonah provides a fantastic template for how we should be conversing with him today. All throughout scripture, we see God's conversations with his people following a very basic pattern. Right? There is some knowledge about what God said previously. There is some acknowledgement about the reality that they face today in the world at this moment in time. And there's an invitation to participate in what God plans to do for his kingdom for eternity. It's not a formula. It's not a recipe. It's never going to go quite the way we plan or expect. But it is a pattern that God's people have been using since Genesis that I think we can follow today. And if we want to follow the pattern that God has made for his people, I don't think we need to wait for some voice from the heavens. I don't think we need to wait for an interruption of a storm or a giant fish. Folks, we have something so much better. We have the complete word of God. In this country, it is unlimited access to God's complete word. Even better, we have the ongoing, indwelling help of God's spirit. Even more than that, We have a perfect advocate in the living Son of God. We have way more than any of the people that we read about in the Bible could have ever imagined. But now the question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the complete word of God, with the indwelling spirit of God, and the perfect advocate, the Son of God? Let's talk about how to pray. I want to give you three very practical steps that you could start taking today to adjust your prayer life to match God's pattern for communication. They're not conditional, right? meaning you don't need to master step one before you can move on to step two. In fact, I think all of us should probably be doing all three all of the time. Number one, you have to be very familiar with what God says, especially about himself. Friends, 
that means you have to be reading your Bible. That means you have to be reading it to find out what he's like as a person. Not just some factoids, not just some interesting nuggets that you could use to impress somebody at small group. Certainly not a way to gain an advantage over your circumstances. It's a relationship, and you have to know him. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther, a hero of the faith. He says, I know not the way God leads me, but well do I know my guide. Friends, how well do you know your guide will depend on how well you hear his voice in his word. Second step, we must become very familiar with what God plans for the future. What are his long-term plans and desires? In fact, you could even start with what are his likes and dislikes? What are the things that he said he's going to do that maybe haven't come true yet? Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Right? I'm not saying that you should expect to hear a voice from the heavens telling you what you should do today, what your agenda is, what job you should apply for, who you should marry, what socks you should wear. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also not suggesting that personal nudges or, or promptings or checks in your spirit or whatever phrase you want to use, I'm not saying that isn't going to happen. But that's not what we're responding to. Remember, in Jonah, his response was to a message that was 700 years old about God's compassion for his enemies. To put it bluntly, you will not be able to pray well if you do not know what God says and you don't know what he's up to. And you will not know what God says or what he's up to if you're not reading your Bible. The last practical step, uh, it's, it's actually the hardest for me, um, but it's taking what God says about himself and his desires and plans for the future and forming a filter that you push all of your thoughts about the world and your circumstances through. That, that filter that helps you think about what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, that's the last way that I know to help your prayers line up with God's pattern. Again, I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. And I know a lot of other people are struggling to grow in this area too. And it seems as if some people have found helpful ways to grow in filtering their thoughts through God's character and his plans. They've been able to to somehow find a way to filter their mind and how they experience the world through God's word. And his desires. I found at least four that are very helpful to me and I hope are helpful to you as well. One way that we can filter our mind through God's word is we can celebrate. Anytime we see his character and his promises, his his plans showing up in the world around us, even maybe in us, we can give thanks and we can praise him. Celebration is a fantastic way to filter your thoughts through God's word. Another way, we can ask him for help at any time. He is always willing to help. Try to sort through the disconnect between what we see in God's word and what we see in the world. We're finite beings, and so there's always a gap. 
but we get to ask him for help. So when we see some kind of a a struggle between what I, I know about God's will and what I'm experiencing in the world, cry out to God for help. It filters your mind through what he says about himself. A couple of guardrails as you're asking for him to fill in the gaps. Be ready for him to move you to a better vantage point. It might be un- unexpected. It could be unpredictable. But that's often how he fills in the gaps is he moves his children to a better vantage point. Also, be prepared. He typically changes his people more often than he changes their circumstances. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. Just trying to help you guys prepare your expectations. Another way that we can help filter our thoughts through God's word, we can grieve. We can, we can mourn what we see in the world. Oftentimes, it's, it's not just a disconnect. It's open rebellion against God's character and his plans. It could be in the world around us. It could be inside of us. That rebellion and opposition should be mourned. We can grieve and groan and ask God for healing. We can also confess and ask him for mercy and grace. Folks, grieving the opposition to God's plans and his purposes and his character, that's a fantastic way to filter your thoughts. Just a couple of cautions, again, to keep in mind. Whenever we talk to God about the gaps in our knowledge and experiences, we're never going to see the whole picture. We're never going to know all of the details. He's God, we are not. And that's okay. Also, God's timing is almost never the same as ours. Occasionally, he'll move faster than we expect. More often, he moves a little slower than we would wish. And that's okay, too. Right? He's God, we are not. And we're happy that he's God. The last way that, that I can say you, you filter your thoughts through God's word and through his plans and desires, what he likes and what he doesn't like, is you could try to keep up. You could try to anticipate, maybe looking into the near future and seeing there's an opportunity that seems to line up with what God likes and what his character says. And you can ask to participate. You can ask for the the resources and the ability to jump in and do the things he loves to see. Again, something to keep in mind, you might be completely wrong. We could be way off, and that's okay. Or... You could be dead on. That is exactly what God wanted. But it's not a destination. It's just another revelation of who he is to the world. So don't get comfortable there just because you hit one on the head. Folks, this is how God's people pray. Right? We listen to what he says in his word. We we respond by filtering our experiences through what we just heard. And then we respond by submitting to his plan and his will and his desires and participating when we can. This is the exact kind of prayer that that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 14. If you want to go ahead, we're going to turn there. John chapter 14, we're going to wrap up with this. This is the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry. This is right before his betrayal and his murder. John chapter 14, 
Let's start in verse 8. Philip said to him, that's Philip talking to Jesus. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you... Do you see that? Right? Do you see that Jesus, he's not telling them that they're getting a new revelation and that then they'll know what to do next. Right? He's not saying that they should go buck wild with dad's credit card. Right? Kids, kings, go first class. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's telling them, believe what you've already been told. Talk to God about what you need. And then get ready. Because God's going to do something amazing with you. Folks, for a little extra credit, we don't have time today, but you can actually see Jesus praying this way. A couple chapters over in chapter 17, John 17. But I want to bring it full circle for us. I I want to tie it up, and there are a lot more examples, but I can think of one passage, one passage in particular that shows exactly how what we hear from God's word interacts with what we see and think about God's world and results in both practice and proving our trust in God. It's in Paul's letter to the Philippians, right? Philippians chapter 4. I'm just going to read it. You guys can, can listen to me. It says, Philippians chapter 4, Paul is telling the church in Philippi to pray. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned from us and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I'll offer you all the same exhortation. Remember the things you've heard God say. Acknowledge them by filtering through God's word with your experiences, by celebrating, by asking him for help, by by grieving the brokenness that you see, by, by anticipating and asking to join in with his work. And then respond 
Folks, respond to what he's doing today by trusting. Trusting that he is God. And he's good at being God. And he's inviting you to participate in his plan for eternity. That should be enough to get most of us started. But I would encourage you, check out our our prayer page on the website for a church. Uh, It's graceky.org forward slash pray. We've put together some, some resources, a list of tools that we think has been, could be helpful to you in learning to grow and pray in your own prayer life. I want to close with an excerpt from a hero of the faith and of prayer, a man by the name of George Mueller. I think it shows really well how the prayers of God's people and their trust in God can go really well hand in hand. He says, the last portion of scripture that I read to my precious wife was this. Psalm 8411. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I said to myself, with regard to the latter part, no good thing will be withheld from them that walk uprightly. I am in myself a a poor worthless sinner, but... I have been saved by the blood of Christ. And I do not live in sin. I I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it really is good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again. Sick as she is, God will restore her again. But if she is not restored, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. Friends, what about you? Is your heart at rest? Are you still trying to use prayer as a tool for managing your circumstances, for dialing in your preferences? Or are you ready to join in on the conversation that God has started on his terms? Let me pray. We'll ask for his help. Father, we are so thankful that you speak to us, that you engage us with your word, by your spirit, for your glory. And we ask for your help. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be a part of the conversation you started on your terms. God, would you bless our efforts with your grace so that we can be a part of your kingdom for eternity. Amen.
this week that he is our rock and he is a firm foundation that is never changing and never shaking. Have a great week.